This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hi, I'm Richard Gershon, the host of In Legal Terms and a professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. If you miss a live In Legal Terms episode, find our podcast, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. I'm Liz Gill, in for Kevin Farrell today, along with Dr. Nancy Lodge Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taff, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder are both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder holds a certificate in investment performance measurement from the CFA. On Money Talks, we answer your personal finance questions. In between your phone calls today, we're going to talk about creating or reviewing your personal financial plan. So contact us by email. The address is money at mpbonline.org. And to start each week, we talk about financial news in the news. Nancy, what do you know? Well, there's a famous quote from Professor Edward Dimming. And the quote is, in God we trust, all others must bring data. And we love data, don't we, Ryder? We love to look at those numbers that are produced and tell us what's happening in the economy. But, you know, we're hearing from people that they don't really feel that the economy is doing very well. Mm. And so I'm telling them to look for anecdotal evidence, which is basically look out the window and pay attention to what's happening around you. These are just uh, anecdotal evidence is just personal observations. What I'm seeing is a lot of economic activity. You know, people are um, shopping. They are in the stores. They're not just window shoppers. They are buying. And that's really interesting to pay attention to that uh, around me. Um, I think that does have uh, an impact overall. So I'm asking our uh, listeners to play Elf on the Shelf, you know, go sit somewhere uh, at the outlet mall and pay attention to the activity, see what people are doing. Are they just window shopping? Do they have bags in hand? And that's going to tell you more about what's really happening on the ground than that overall data or just asking, how do you feel? I was surprised. We went to the mall this past weekend, uh, the mall mall. And I mean, it wasn't shoulder to shoulder packed, but there were quite a lot of folks there. Yeah, it really is interesting. And to to go and not be able to find a parking space um, and to to jockey for position to get through a store um, and the lines you have to endure. So uh, whether people are saying it or not, uh, they are spending, they are feeling more confident. And uh, hopefully that will then seep through. And I think that's an interesting kind of uh, kind of a catch twenty two. One of the things that makes people feel bad about the economy or their personal finance situation is their costs going up, right? Yes. You, when you do your Christmas shopping, oh my gosh, it's somewhere much more expensive than last year. Just double check; people aren't just asking for more expensive things. But the more 
the rising prices, that's just an indication that demand for those goods has increased faster than the supply. Now, it could be that supply has been cut in some way, but that's a sign of increased demand. And then you mentioned having to find a parking spot and fight the crowds. And man, that makes a miserable shopping experience. But it means that people are shopping exactly. in droves. So, yeah. so it's kind of that catch-22 of uh, those things that are making you feel bad are just signs of like pain points of, of, of a growing economy and increasing demand there. And about two-thirds or sometimes up to three-quarters of our overall economy is based on consumer spending. Mm-hmm. So um, that's why you're starting to hear about uh, economists talking about, well, we, we think we might be in for an, a soft landing versus a recession, because the more of that spending that's going on, the more that fuels economic growth and delays any kind of uh, recession that could be possible. We were really excited. Uh, someone in our family had a wish list item that was not fulfilled last year when it was $100. This year, they still want it, and it's only 30 <laughs> Oh, wow. Go. Deflation. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Do we have to talk about deflation again? <laughs> yes. Well, I think it's the scarcity and demand and newness propped up that uh, uh, that first price point and now the second one it's been out a while and it's still desirable to the person on our list my family doesn't listen to this they won't know what i'm talking about but but uh they still want it and it will still be they'll still get all the value and enjoyment from it but now it's thirty dollars not a hundred uh speaking of that uh interesting news about electric vehicles which is Mm. that we had such a um flurry of people buying them, those those uh, early adopters who wanted to have the electric vehicles. And so they pushed all of that. And now we have a lot of dealers sitting with EVs on their lot because there are a lot of us like me. I'm kind of holding back. I'm interested, but I'm going to wait a while. And so they they geared up and the demand is not there. So the prices are down. If you want an EV, this might be a good time to take a look. And there's the announcement from Ford that they're cutting production of their electric F-150, the most popular selling vehicle on the face of this earth. Um, they're cutting production of the electric version uh, just because, again, you know, the demand is, is softening as they see it. Oh, and I'll go ahead and put a plug in. Uh, Jermaine Flood, our autocorrect host, and Coach Charlie are going to talk about EVs the first Thursday in January. Oh, I need to be listening to that. (laughs) Ryder, what sparked your uh, interest in the news this past week? So not particularly a specific news article, although there is a series, and I believe it's the New York Times, about long-term care. And this is something we talk about from time to time, but this is something which – We've gotten a lot of questions about uh, lately. I don't know if it's particularly more than ever, but people talk about long-term care. Who is going to take care of me towards the end of my life? And there is long-term care insurance you can buy to help pay for that. But one of the things I find interesting is who is actually going to need that? How likely are you to actually need that? So there's a, a, a the federal government put together some of this information and it turns out that if you're 65 today turning 65 today or roughly then about a 70 percent chance so about a two-thirds of those people will need some sort of long-term care that's services. a big number that's a big number 
But what sort of long-term care services will they need? About two-thirds of that. So so two-thirds of that two-thirds will need uh, basically just in-home care. Some of that's going to be pretty light stuff, and some of that's going to be more, you know, paying for sitters, paying for uh, paying for folks who are qualified to take care of you on, on various levels. And that's not necessarily stuff that rises to the level of being compensated by long-term care insurance. That's just something you're going to have to pay for. Uh, and then only about a third of that two thirds. So wait, I, sh- I should have done the, <laughs> done the math, done the math, the math beforehand. Do but your that's, multiplication. But that's only about twenty twenty five percent of of people turning sixty five today are going to need in facility care. And, and and once you're in a facility, you're probably that's that, that's stuff that long term care insurance can take care of. Um, and then of those, how long are you going to actually need it? Some people will not make it beyond the first few days. And that's that's kind of a likely thing when you're going into nursing care um, or the, quickly. the uh, days that Medicare covers, which right. is yeah, uh, up yeah, to the, the hundred. The first uh, first 90 or 100 days mm-hmm. that Medicare covers, correct. Um, the average stay in a nursing facility is only a year. Uh, mm-hmm. The average stay in assisted living is less than a year. Of course, some of those people may be moving up to a different, a higher level of care. Um but but one of the reasons we have insurance is to protect from those really drastic things, the people that need it longer than five years. Uh, even some people will need it for, for 10 years. So there are those weird cases, and those stand out, and those are what really drive uh, folks to think, oh, well, I better get insurance to cover for that. Um, but just the likelihood of someone actually needing and getting the full value out of that is is actually surprisingly low, I felt. Well, that sounds like good news because the long-term care insurance market is really much different than it was very, even a decade ago. It's very tough. Um, it's very expensive to get it. Uh, we're finding that couples apply. Often the woman will get turned down and the man will be accepted because women are more likely to mm-hmm. be in long-term care. Um, and so your best bet is to save every penny you can because mm-hmm. much of that is going to be eaten up in the last couple of years of your life. Yeah, I, I think I think that's a great lesson. It, you, the insurance, it provides a level of, of comfort for uh, a lot of folks, but if you are one of those people that needs it longer than five years, I haven't seen a policy that lasts longer than five years. So it, it, so much responsibility more and more and more is on that person. Well, and as someone who's had an, uh, an older mom, I guess self-insurance, self-insurance is what you would call saving it for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. And I know you've talked on the show before to let your family know your situation so Mm -hmm. that they're aware of financial constraints and especially as you age. So I guess for these older caretaking children, it's, you know, you'll, here is my money. Mm -hmm. You, if I die, you can have it. If I need it, you need to, you know, we've got to spend it to take care of me. Yeah. And and letting them know your situation and letting them know your expectation. If you have kids and you expect one of them to come home and take care of you. I, we were talking with somebody the other day, four children, and only one of them is willing to pitch in. That's typical. You know, uh, so that's tough. And then, of course, we also talk to people who don't have children. Like, oh, we don't have children to take care of. It's like, that is just, that's just not a promise that your kids are going to do that. Um, and, and, and don't, you know, you got to be careful about, hey, I've got I've got X dollars, and when I die, you're gonna, well, maybe they'll take a little, little less care. I don't know. You got to be careful. You got to be real careful with that. But having a plan for the care. 
so important. Things to talk about during the holidays. <laughs> yeah. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. I'm Liz Gill, along with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder are here to answer your personal finance questions. Today, we're going to start talking about uh, the end-of-year review of your personal finance plan. But first, we're going to go to Horn Lake and speak with David. David, we're so glad you've called in, too, in uh, Money Talks today. What's your comment or question? Well, I got a question. Um, what do you do if you're single and you have no children, no dependents or whatnot? Uh, I got a Mississippi Advanced Directives legal documents for the health care choices uh, they're looking for a uh, power of attorney for health care. What do you do if you don't have anybody? I don't have any family left. Well, I, 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 I mean, I, excuse me. I, and uh, uh, I had to. Uh, I took a severe haircut. I had a. I'm old enough to have a traditional uh, retirement plan, and uh, it was mm. a single life annuity. Annuity. Mm. So I converted it, so I could. Decide, you know, so I had the option of, you know, leaving it to somebody. What do you do if you don't have anybody? How do you pick somebody? Is there? Do you just put the state of Mississippi and? No, 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 no. Um, I, I think you do need to find someone that you could trust and. Um, yes. Uh, do you have a, a a friend? It doesn't have to be a family member, but um, we've had cases where there are. Friends who are named as a medical power of attorney, also a regular power of attorney, may be listed as executor in the will. And in those cases, often the understanding is that person will inherit at least some portion of the estate to help them for this trouble. But you do need to have someone that you can depend on that understands what your wishes are. Um, if nothing else, you might just want to have something on file with your physician so that person has some directions about what you will and will not endure. David, I, that is a tough situation, and you're not alone in the situation of being single and no children, you know, for, for you know, by choice or not. Um, I think one thing Nancy says is very important. It, that person may expect to be in your will at some point. Um, but another thing that's very important is to make those instructions clear. If you have a spouse or if you have adult children who you have these conversations with, they know Look, dad said he doesn't want to be on life support more than X hours. Dad says he wants this. Dad says he wants this or, or what have you. But you're not necessarily having those conversations with your neighbor. You're not necessarily having those conversations with your doctor. But if you write those things down explicitly, and I have, I don't know, I know some of those things are like explicit check boxes on, on, on a standard uh, healthcare power of attorney. But they may not, may not be. So kind of anticipate some of those situations. And also understand that while it's a very kind of weighty role for someone to have, it's, it's not something that they are guaranteed to be called for. I, that can make people uncomfortable if you just 
walked up to your buddy at church and said, "Hey, man, you want to you want to take care of all my end of life decisions?" You know, that's kind of a that's a big one. But one showing them that you've already made those decisions, and so and Nancy said, "You know, make sure your doctor at least has something." Um, but but also helping them understand what it might actually involve, and also make sure you pick someone younger than you. Yes. Well, um, the other thing that you brought up of talking to your family members, and I will say this from experience, is that even if you are telling somebody this, you know, I don't want my life extended, you need to keep repeating that um, and tell it to them over and over again Mm, so that when you reach that point of having to make a tough decision, your voice is in their heads and they know this is what this person really intended but you do need to see if you can find someone and it could be that there is someone else around you who is in a similar situation david that they don't have anybody and the two of you could forge um a relationship an agreement where you each serve as the others okay thank you thank you david we appreciate you calling in all right, so it's December 2023. What do My I need gosh, to do? <laughs> it's the end of the year already. Yeah. Nancy, your very first comment was talking about data, using data to analyze and make decisions. How can you uh, use data to review your end of year well, financial plan? Well, uh, you look at your own personal data, mm-hmm. right? Right? You, you know, Absolutely. Pull out uh, your bank statements and look at and your credit card statements. Where did your money go? Absolutely. Where did it come from? What is it going to look like next year? Where did it come from? Where does it go? Where, Where did my go? money come from? <laughs> How it gets frittered away. Um, and really think about what's important to you. And writer's a great one to talk about what you value, right, writer? Uh, absolutely. So uh, how do we use that? Day? When you're kind of building a budget, when you're analyzing your spending, you're, you're thinking about what you want to, what you care about spending on. The first thing you have to do is see what you have been spending on. So there's data right there. Download list of transactions from your credit card, from your bank, from wherever that has come from. And and you can look at Obviously, you're going to see grocery store, grocery store, yeah, electric bill. You got to pay those. You can't get around that. Gas from a car. Oops, repair from a car. Okay, we can't get around those. But there's going to be so many things where you look at, okay, this is the you know 17th time that I've visited this particular store in this month. And boy, I, I know I don't really care about any of the things that I've bought from there. So maybe maybe that's something I need to minimize. And so I like to look at categorizing things into kind of those critical, right, right. The, your bills, your groceries, you, you're going to have to spend those. You kind of assume you're working to keep those low. But then those things you can choose to spend on. And then you know, have I been happy? Have I enjoyed dining out? Have I gotten this much value from dining out? Have I gotten this much value from shopping? And I was actually uh, uh, just just chatting about someone who spent money on art. And it was, this is the thing that broke his budget for December. But it it's it's something that he appreciates. It's something that he values. It's so sure, it's a one-time expense that shows up on that December budget but it's something he's truly going to love for hopefully years to come and 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 so it's some you know some people will say oh this is investment i don't like that terminology um but it is something that you'll appreciate and it's something that you feel you're okay with you just have to think if 
you only have $200 to spend, wh- where, wh- what are you going to cut out in order to afford that? What, what can you say, you know what, I don't need to do this this month so that I can afford that? Part. Now, you're not going to be able to look at your year-end statement yet, uh, but in January, it's coming. it's coming. So, And it's been a good year on the markets. Um, so January is a good time to pull out your employer retirement plan if you have a mm. pension. Um, start to look at what those numbers look like, what that 401k or 403b looks like. How much did you put in it last year? Can you increase what you're putting into it? Are your investment selections appropriate? Do you need mm. to find some help uh, with that selection process? Um, but get a little bit more disciplined. And most people have gotten raises, you know, because it's been a good uh, economy, a good market year. And so this is a good time to start putting more into that employer plan and getting ready for retirement. Yeah, Absolutely. As a non-financial advisor person, I would say, you know, before you review all of that, you've got to start to do that. I would try to make it as a game or, you know, play some Christmas music or holiday music, get a little fun beverage so that you can – one of the hardest things is to actually do mm-hmm. something. Yes. And, yeah. yes. and if you – instead of think of it as a chore, think of it as it a – 2023 stroll down memory lane and yeah. maybe look around for some of the things that you you purchased and well think human, about how you value them. You mentioned about looking at it as a chore, it's hard to do things. Yes, for humans, it's hard for us to take action. And so that's where your inaction can pay off by setting and forgetting, going ahead and taking the action to up your contributions, and then you forget about it. Or you might reach a point where you think, gosh, I wish I hadn't put quite so much in there, but then you'll live with it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if you use that um, unwillingness to take action that we all have and let things ride, that's how you can make it work for you. And and so also, because it can be feel like a chore and it can feel like it's overwhelming. Just look at one thing at a time. Say, I am going to look at how much I'm putting in my 401k. And also have a kind of a, the, the not necessarily the full plan, but know what you're going for. Say, I want to look at what it would cost me to increase my 401k contribution. Maybe you don't quite remember how much you're contributing right now, but you say, I want to increase it. 20%. I want to see what that would look like. Or I just want to make an increase. I want to need to look at what I've been contributing to see what I can afford. And th- so then that tells you everything you need to start gathering. You need to gather your 401k statement. You need to get a pay stub that shows how much you're putting onto it. And you need to get the numbers for what are my maximum contributions to my 401k. So those sort of things. And then you can kind of have it all laid out and you won't just get bogged down and, oh my gosh, I don't understand why are there a hundred different funds to choose from. That's that's not the goal of this little conversation with yourself. You've got your Christmas music playing in the background. You know what the goal is, uh, so you can focus on that and you know what you're going to arrive at at the end. Oh, I, I, I can see it. I can see it in my head. I can see my dining room table. I can see uh, the. I can hear the music and just trying mm-hmm. to calmly and peacefully uh, and non-stressfully review what what all we've spent the money on this year so that we 
feel good about ourselves and have a plan Mm -hmm. going forward. Well, at one story that was told to me recently of someone who felt overwhelmed when she looked at her deferred compensation and what investment choices should I I choose, Um, she had a colleague who said, here – and pointed out which funds to put it in. And she did that many years ago and didn't even think about it, and it was golden. Mm. So even if you don't get professional advice, there may be somebody you work with who is savvy enough to help you and has the experience. Take a listen. And, and that, that's a great point. And um, so taking notes on what you did and, and, and writing that down. Okay, so – Everyone's got a notes app on their phones these days. Uh, whenever we give someone recommendations about what they should do, we have a very clear uh, this. You should allocate your. You know, we recommend you allocate your four hundred one k in this way. We recommend you put this much into your savings account. So, if you're making those, you're sitting down doing it yourself. Write those recommendations that you've given yourself. So say, okay, am I my. What I'm doing right now, I'm putting $500 into my savings account. I would like to increase that to $600, but maybe you're not quite there yet. So the next time you think about your savings account, you can just open up your notes. Be like, I said I was going to do $600. I can do $600. So you can you can see that just firm recommendation. You just don't have to overthink it at that point. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. I'm Liz Gill with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder are both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder also holds the Certificate of Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Nancy and Ryder are ready to answer your personal finance questions, and while we wait for your phone calls, we're talking about end-of-year personal finance review. So uh, how are some ways that you can, you know, keep track of your progress of your financial goals? Spreadsheets. <laughs> is that is that Was that the right answer? But what if you're not good at spreadsheets? Then get better at them. Oh, come on. <laughs> um, so, well... I- Paper and pencil. Paper and pencil. So well, what, one of the things I was just mentioning, you know, keeping track of things in a, in, in a note, uh, any sort of note-taking application or in a paper and pencil uh, notebook. Um, also, a lot of uh, a lot of us uh, nowadays, we do online banking. We have our credit cards online, and, and they will do maybe a year in review. Of course, that's kind of geared uh, for them, but also – you can go back and say, look at my bank. Say, if, if your goal is to grow a bank account or your goal is to grow a brokerage account, you can probably go back and get several years worth of year end statements. Now, they're not required to keep those year end statements forever. So I like to have you don't keep every single statement you've ever gotten, but a year end statement from each brokerage account, a year end statement from each bank account, year end statement from your 401k. Just keep those in a folder on your computer or in a folder in your real life house. Um, an then, actual notebook. <laughs> an actual notebook. That's a good way for you to just say at a glance, well, you know, I started with a thousand dollars in my bank account five years ago, and I, I promised myself I would grow it, and I now have a healthy emergency savings. So that's a great way to keep track of things. Just actually, just lo- low effort from you. Just save the save a single statement. Well, I just think you just do whatever works for you. You know, yes, absolutely. Um, my husband is. We're working on a renovation project, and so he's tracking all the expenses. He did not put it in a spreadsheet writer. 
He put it in a mm. Word document. Oh, that is embarrassing. It will not add up. You that know, is... I'm like, I'm taking out my calculator and I'm adding oh, them up. I'm so um, sorry, Nancy. I, I know, I know. Um, this is the man who used to keep his, his tax receipts in a shoebox. Um, but whether it's having a physical notebook or using an app or using a spreadsheet, the important thing is to somehow track it. Now, you don't have to track it like every day or even every no, month. No, please don't do that. Um, but even once a year is a good way for you to go back and look at that because not only are you then paying attention, but it really um, brings to mind what might be out of whack, whether you're spending something on something that just doesn't really add value to you, or you realize you're not saving enough for your retirement that needs to be pointed out to you, or you have way too much credit card debt because when you add them all up, your eyes pop. But just paying attention. And so many people, especially the ones who've gotten into trouble financially, what they'll say is, I I, I just don't look at it. I don't want to look at it. Mm. I don't want to open up my emails. I don't want to open up the mail. You know, it's not going anywhere. It's still going to be there. And you better get it front and center. Yeah. And, and, and not only kind of the system that works for you is think about what data is important to track. Um, so, it's, again, if you're looking at what's my 401k balance, you probably also want to be thinking, have I added or taken money out of that account? Because it's great to see that account go up by $1,000. But if it's just because you made a deposit – then it's not, I don't know, not as impressive. And you might, and, and that can also, especially if you're working with a professional, prompt you to ask further questions. Am I invested correctly? If it, if my money going in is the only way that it went up, maybe I haven't got that money invested right. Maybe it's not growing. Maybe it's just a, maybe it's just a flat market. I don't know. But think about what numbers are important to track. Because again, you don't need to track all the little, little bitty bits of data, you know, just a couple of high-level numbers. Well, the other thing that we've seen a lot of is people are um, taking loans against their retirement plans. That really just makes me cringe. Um, If you have a regular IRA, you can't do that with a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA. But if you have an employer plan that allows it, a lot of people are taking advantage of that, which says to me, you don't have emergency savings. Mm. You have built up too much on your credit card, and you're having to fall back by using future money and borrowing against your future self. That really is putting you in jeopardy. Nancy and Ryder and I have been talking about um, your end-of-year financial plan, and now we're joined by host Kevin Farrell. Good morning. Um, There is a caller on the line, so I think we should take that first, but I have a very cautionary tale uh, Uh to share with you this morning. This is so sad. I've got some bad news, but I've got some good news. Uh, My heater went out Monday, so I shivered for two nights. However, my repair guy just left about half an hour ago and an affordable repair, and it it is warming up in my house as we speak. But, uh, yeah, yesterday something happened to me that I wanted to share with everybody, but I believe we do have a caller, and that's much more important than listening to me drone on. So why don't we go to the phone call? Oh, well, but, but everybody does need to hear what Kevin has to say. Let's go to Jackson and speak with Megan. Megan, thanks for calling in to Money Talks today. What's your comment or question? Well, thank you very much. So uh, just a uh, quick question or two. So, you know, it is Christmas, and uh, what, ours is a consumer-based economy. And, uh, you know, which is not good for the environment, et cetera, et cetera. How do we slowly transition or is there another option to consumerism? You know, this being the Christmas season and all, but 
uh, and then the personal question that I have is that would you consider – I'm retired, so re- preservation of principle is important. So I have CDs that uh, will probably uh, have another year and a half on it, and they're paying four and four and a half. So um, I've been – Proposed that we transition to a, a six-year annuity. No, no. Okay. No, no. <laughs> Nancy heard annuity and just didn't. No. Shut it no. off. Um, let me go back to your first question because this has been something that's been on my mind and my heart lately um, as I look at all of my stuff. And when I talk to my friends who are my age, we recognize that our grown children don't want our stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I'm also, when I dealt with my dad and selling his house, all the stuff that had to be removed from the house that ended up either in a dumpster or at the Goodwill. And I'm thinking, what are we doing here? And so I've been very interested in this idea of minimalism. And minimalism means not that you don't have stuff, but that the stuff you have is important and has value to you. It has function. Uh, you, you, you know, whether it's that piece you of artwork on the wall, or that special um, kitchen gadget which allows you to do what you need to do that you limit those things and so I've been starting and I can't you know just do it all at once because there are too many things that I find myself going but I might need that Um, but I'm starting to edit and I'm starting to go through cabinets drawers closets and starting to really edit, um, beginning with clothes and thinking, well, you know, what's at this point, what's comfortable? Uh, what do I wear all the time? And really pulling back. And that also means when I walk into a store and I think, well, I could buy that. But I'm also thinking about I'm just adding to more stuff. And will that thing really add value to my life? Or should I wait for that one favored pair of shoes, Kevin, to um, finally wear out? And now I'm just going to replace them. And so that's been my approach lately. And I'm going to turn to Ryder on the second part of that. Well, I I also want to address the first one because this is exactly what we love talking about is is consumption aligned with your values. So you mentioned uh, that just – Flat out consumption is bad for the environment. So I think an example I think of all the time is your food consumption. You know, you can you can just go buy food that's just kind of factory farm. You know, you hear about you know issues and you know uh, with uh, with pollution in factory farms and the use of uh, uh, pesticides and herbicides and things. All all of these things. Or you can you know go get to know your farmers at the farmers market and uh, uh, support the ones that you think are following environmental best practices or things and like that. And use that food when you and, get home. And you can use that food. So, uh, but but this is an interesting point. We said it's a consumer based economy. Well, what else could an economy be based on? Well, a lot of especially emerging countries are based on kind of an extraction based economy. So when a company uh, a country relies on uh, oil drilling or mining or or, or uh, you know, timber production for their economy. That's more an extraction-based economy. And so that, that's kind of I don't know, worse for the environment maybe in some ways. Of course, that can be done in maybe slightly better ways sometimes. Um, and what, one thing we are moving is services are more and more important. I mean, that's still what we're consuming services, so I'm not sure if it, 
we're really we really talk about those as different and, things. And I will say, she said she's retired. I understand mm-hmm. about reaching a point in age where you can't maybe you can't physically do all the things that you did yeah. before. So those services become really important. Mm-hmm. Having someone who can take care of your lawn, help yeah, you with your garden, uh, repair some things at your house because you can't do those things any longer. And, and so instead of just spending on goods, we are shifting that uh, that consumption. So it, again, this kind of aligns with what you're talking about. Shifting that consumption to things that do align with your values. Is it experiences? Is it dining out instead of just buying a bunch of packaged foods? I, I don't know, but you can shift what your consumption is. Um, and then, of course, the shift from buying physical goods to buying services or even buying art. Um, Megan, I want to go back to the the second question, which is uh, you are retired. This money you've accumulated, I'm assuming, is to last your whole lifetime. So I understand your desire for preservation of principle, but you also need to keep up with inflation and in particular with medical inflation, because that is going to be higher than overall general inflation. So you probably need to have a balanced account that will offer you some growth and some stability in that to produce income. I would caution you about jumping on the annuity bandwagon because you're going to make your money very inflexible. And a lot of those contracts contracts promise a a payout uh, and people assume that that payout maybe five or six percent is the return but that is the return of your money eventually of of your money and um, you probably need to have a situation where you can access it because bigger things can happen and annuities uh, again are very inflexible many with Uh, heavy surrender charges, high annual expenses. Be very careful. The devil is in the details. And uh, an annuity, a lot of times, maybe you view it as part of your fixed income allocation, but I I don't know your age, Megan, but uh, at age 70, um, you're expected to live another 16 years. So it's not, you hear, oh, life expectancy is 77 years. Okay, well, that doesn't mean that a 70-year-old is going to die in seven years. Their life expectancy is another 16 years. If they make it those 16 years, they make it to 86, their life expectancy is another six years. If you make it to 90, there's a 40% chance you're going to make it to 95. How about that? Yeah, so uh, it's 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 not that okay, you know, I need this income. I'm not super worried about inflation over the next five or ten years. Your life is probably a lot longer than that. And and so when when Nancy mentioned, you still need growth on some of that money. You still need part of your portfolio really focused on the long term. Yes, you too have a long term. Your your last years are not. I mean, again, I, I don't know what's going to happen in your life, but they're not that close. Megan, how do you feel about that advice? I think it's awesome. <laughs> well, so, we thank you very much. We're Thanks. so glad that you called in. All right, I for one always like I kind of like to hear bad news because it prepares me for how I can protect it to me so it doesn't I'm dying happen of curiosity. To me. I haven't heard this so story. So let's let's uh, Do I need to cover my ears? <laughs> it's not nasty news. Right. It's uh it's just Right. Scary. So yesterday afternoon, got a phone call from an 800 number with someone claiming to be from Regions Bank. 
And so um, uh, we see some, you know, some suspect activity. Have you been in Houston? Are you traveling in Houston? No. Did you spend four hundred and fifty dollars at Walmart in Houston? No. Did you spend this money at Kroger in Houston? No. Um, okay, and so all right, when the call, the guy just sounded kind of enough. At first, I'm thinking, wait a minute, I don't know about this. And then I said to myself, and I think I even said to the guy, well, wait a minute, usually when there's fraudulent, you don't call me, you send me a text message. Exactly. Well, red flags are going off for whatever reason, stupidity, I feel like a complete moron, they were ignored. No. Yeah. All right. So it's getting fairly sophisticated. So, okay, these aren't your charges. What we need to do is we're going to cancel your card right now, and then uh, you can we'll ship you a new card in five to ten business days, whatever. You're going to need a new PIN number. So what we're going to do is we're going to send you to the automatic PIN number place. And so me, the dummy, follows along. First thing they say is enter your current PIN number, yeah. which mm-hmm. I did. Enter your new PIN number. Who knows what it was? Because it all right. What it turned out was obviously it's a scam, and I willingly gave them my my pin number deceitfully, but I did. <clears throat> but I was suspicious enough that when the call was over, I called Regions and I'm Good like, "Hey, no, we don't see any of this. Oh, but we do see this five hundred and seventy one dollar transfer. Oh, I didn't make that. Well, you need to go to the bank to figure this out." Anyway, what what it turned and then we uh, while I was on the phone with Regions, we got another fraud alert for night. Someone was trying to remove nineteen hundred dollars from my account. Oh my goodness! Mm. I get to the bank, and what basically happened was they got my information. They went to my savings account. They took everything but twenty five cents and transferred it into my checking account, and then attempted to take all of the money out of my checking account. Fortunately, like I said, I was a dummy for doing it because I knew it's one of the what irritates me the most is all through this call I kept thinking wait a minute this isn't right this isn't right but something somehow something convinced me that it was and it didn't and it wasn't until after the thing happened that I realized well of course you idiot you gave them your pin number because they told you to oh my gosh we have dealt with very intelligent highly educated people with similar phone calls because it happens so easily, and you're right. They are so good. So stop beating yourself up for this. Well, the, what, that's one thing why I did want to come on here today because it's it, – you know, I knew that, but, but I let my guard down just ever so slightly. And with, with these criminals like this, because it's getting good, again, he sounded a little wonky, but the whole thing sounded legitimate because it's like, okay, mm-hmm. it's a fraud thing, so we're going to cut your card, da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, that sort of thing. So fortunately, I got to the bank. The we, we I think on the phone we closed it so it's like okay you you're not getting to it so I changed my pin number I changed my uh, password on my online banking and we we switched the money back from the checking account to my savings account but really seriously had I not called or had the call been five or ten minutes later I would have been left with twenty five cents in my in my savings account and that's it. So it's just a reminder to anybody, and this and this is again remind yourself they will never a legitimate bank will never ever 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 never ever call you to do this. They will use other methods, and if you ever think that you're suspicious in the least bit, hang up, stop the conversation, call the bank directly. Oh, that's a good because advice. if it's legitimate, the bank, the real bank's going to know about it. But like I said, it just then the other crazy thing I received I've received since that yesterday afternoon and this morning. 400 text messages from some crazy thing that's like your subscription to this or this, that one of them was in German, several were in Spanish. When I went to AT&T to try to block these, the guy that I was talking to, who was sort of a cyber 
you know, that was his interest outside of work. The phone number that these were coming from was not a complete phone number. It was it was six numbers instead of seven. So he was like, boy, these guys are really good. How that is connected, I don't know. It's to me, it's either not connected or it's some sort of bizarre coincidence. And I'm not sure why they did that other to mean, well, if we couldn't get your money, we're going to then, you know, annoy the heck out of you. Because believe Mm. you me, for a while there, there was a text message coming in every 10 seconds, I swear. And it's like at one point, you know, it was over 400 text messages. So um, I'm still getting them. The, the rate has slowed down. And every time I get one, I don't open it. And I put delete and mark as junk because I also downloaded the AT&T app that screens out some of this stuff. So hopefully um, it'll work on that. But also, you know, I did get a lot of those uh, spam emails and spam text messages. And so if they, if some of that can be eliminated, I say thankful. But again, very feeling, very fortunate, and you know you want to kick yourself. But uh, like I said, I did want to come on the air and share that because you know uh, even people who who we think we know that to what to look for, whatever reason, just the pressure, maybe uh, you know that it seemed legitimate enough or whatever. But I would say just stay on guard. And if they if the if someone claiming to be your bank calls you, I would just say, what is it you want? Find out what it's want, and say, okay, I'm going to call back and find out because that's the that's the legitimate way, and that's really the only way that you know who is on the other end because you've called them. Also, uh, you will uh, see emails where there's a phone number in the email, and people mm-hmm. will call the phone number in the email. No, no, no. Go find your separate phone number and mm-hmm. do what you did. Call them directly and find out what's going on. Yeah. That that is uh, that you're right. That is frightening to hear. That is incredibly frustrating for you, Kevin. I know, uh, especially you think we have hosted uh, shows talking about how these things can happen. But you're absolutely right. They are getting more and more sophisticated. And I am. I have had you know perfectly intelligent friends who have who've. Uh, gone quite a long way down some uh, different types of scams. Uh, And I've heard of other folks, again, going friend to friend sort of situation, going quite a long way down these things. Um, Absolutely. Check you if you, you know, you have um, you have access to the bank's number, you have access to the banking branch, you know, don't you know, there's no reason uh, to give personal information. So for instance, you're existing pin uh over the phone when you have been the one called if you are not absolutely 100 percent sure you know i call the bank and you know they have a little registration number on the back of the card if that's the number i called and i'm registering my card yes i can type my pin number in there but not if someone just calls me yeah and don't even believe it if it shows up caller id it's regions bank because it it might not absolutely they they can be so sophisticated and and the the piece of information that is needed sometimes it can be you would think is not is is not relevant Uh, but your pin number okay that seems important that that might be a somewhat obvious one but sometimes oh is this your card starting in or your card number ending in this number or is this still your address that sort of information is sometimes just that vital piece that someone needs to uh to get into some system of yours well if you're listening to this show recommend it to somebody else because i'm sure they'll need to hear kevin's cautionary tale and nancy and Ryder's suggestions on how to spend a lovely evening reviewing 2023 and all the joy hopefully joy that your money has brought you 
Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio and is funded in part by generous financial support of our listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to our podcast and search for Money Talks. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.